Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Growth Farm Production. Are you ready? Let's get to it. With the explosion of data, there is definitely no shortage of data. The challenge is getting more meaningful data to help your business reach and engage with the right prospects. With the volatility of the market the last few years, the volume of job changes has increased significantly. Many individuals have changed roles even multiple times in the last two or three years. As a business trying to maintain quality data for your customers and your champions is critical, both for retention and growth within an account, but also for potential new prospects. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Christian Kletzel, the CEO and co-founder of UserGems, shares his insights on how to drive net new revenue and retain existing revenue, leveraging the power of data. So take a listen and learn how to start generating qualified pipeline on autopilot. So super excited to be here today with Christian Kletzel, the CEO and co-founder of User Gems. For those of you who may not be familiar with User Gems, User Gems is an AI-driven prospecting solution for revenue teams that uniquely positions them for success through surfacing existing customers as new prospects when they change jobs and automatically identifying new prospects that look like your best customers. So welcome, Christian, and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited just to learn more about you and and learn from you. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to chat here. Awesome, awesome. So before we dive in, I always like to talk about, you know, career journey. I mean, you've spent time at Microsoft and Google, McKinsey, right? And you also actually co-founded a company prior to User Gems. Um, so maybe can you share more about your background and your journey any, um, you know, prior to founding the company? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, inter- I think it's generally an interesting story of like how I got there and actually how, especially how I got kind of like the role within user gems. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm originally from Austria uh, in Salzburg. Sound of Music is often the association for an American. <laughs> and uh, so I studied computer science there and then went, went to Microsoft. So I was always like very engineering heavy. I was an, uh, a developer back then. And then I came to the U.S., did my MBA in the US. And that's where then I, I stuck around, started at Google, started their own startup. But I think what's also interesting is that, so I started it with my identical twin brother, oh. which means basically probably very similar in skill set and interest. And at some point we had to decide, so who does what? Like who does the engineering and who does the selling piece? <laughs> and it's like, I was, I was in the US, I had a little bit better English because I studied here. So it's like, all right, ge- geographically speaking, makes sense that you're doing it. And I think, so now I lead, I'm, I'm the CEO, but I especially lead the, the revenue organization, okay. so sales, uh, marketing, customer success. And I think it's just really interesting because I was actually the one uh, studying engineering. He actually studied <laughs> business. But I think it, it just also shows that like, when, if you are the engineer, you can still ultimately end up being in sales. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, so, you know, a lot of times when I talk to founders, right, an idea for a business starts with a problem, there's 
you know, there's some problem, there's a challenge, or even sometimes there's just some frustration um, to solve, you know, which ends up leading to an idea um, for a company. So, you know, was this the case for user gems? And maybe what was that original vision? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> how, much, how much time do we have? I, um, so we, we actually started out. So when we created the first company, it was, it was called Shelf Flip. Uh-huh. It was actually a B2C solution. Okay. And what we did back then is we analyzed what people purchased online through their receipts, like what you get from Amazon, from other online stores. Uh-huh. And we told you if you were to resell it for how much you would be able to resell it and we could help you resell it. And what for us interesting, it was a little bit like this, you get internal data, like you're purchasing and then we compare it with external data. So the like for how much you can sell it. But that was a completely different product, a completely different customer, completely different direction. Um, and that one actually didn't go anywhere. And we completely pivoted away from this. But then we did other things, always focused on where is publicly available data there that we can use and then turn that into value. So um, for us, it was less about the prob- problem, although there was a point where this, like where we actually saw this need ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we, we worked with data and then at some point a customer changed their job. We saw that this is really interesting and then, okay, so we already have data that we see online. Can we create a product that does exactly that? Mm. Got it. Got it. And so that was sort of kind of the original vision, but, you know, it has, how have things changed, right? Since starting the company? I mean, it's been like almost five years, I think. Um, How has that changed or has it? Yeah. So, I mean, um, it certainly had changed a lot. At the beginning, like we even at the beginning of user gems, we were um, we helped companies identify influencers mm-hmm. among your own users. So once again, a little bit like more for companies that sell to B two C, sell to end users, um, and then it switched to okay, we already have this data, we identified the job change, now we sell to B two B, and surprisingly, from that moment on, and this was also the moment where. People showed real interest. They they actually signed real contracts and gave us real real money. <laughs> From then on, it it changed not as much anymore. Like the 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 general sentiment of user terms back then and now is actually you create you take a signal, mm-hmm. kind of like an intent signal, mm-hmm. and turn this into value. And job change is just a very clearly easily describable signal for this. But for us, it's really what other signals do we have? that we can then turn into a sales or marketing motion. Got it. Got it. So let's talk about that data, right? So prospect and customer data. I mean, I think with the, just the explosion of data, there's definitely no shortage of it, but, but the challenge is always, you know, getting more meaningful data, right? That meaningful data to really help your business reach and engage, right? With the right people. So what are you seeing, you know, kind of companies maybe doing right? And of course, what they're doing wrong when it comes to sort of acquiring the right data to help you um, target the right accounts and the right prospects. Yes. Oh my God. I have so many opinions about this because yeah. there's, there are actually two things. Like I think the first one is what you said, um, data versus meaningful data, like what works now. And the, and maybe the second piece is actually kind of like turning this data into action. Yeah. And I think these are two different, two different, very important things like data versus meaningful data. Um, I think the the issue or the risk is a little bit, you learn from the past, but the world changes much quicker. Like if, if we look at the, let's say the success of a cold outbound 10 years ago, 
and the number of steps that were necessary back then versus the, the number of different actions we're doing now, there's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So I think it's actually the, the difficulty in, from, from data to meaningful data is actually staying ahead of the curve and identifying, okay, what works today versus what worked in the past. Mm -hmm. So even like previously you, you did your cold outbound, you sent a few messages and it worked. And now you need to be much, much smarter. It needs to be the right person at the right time. So you take intent of the organization with maybe a relationship, as in our case, like a relationship that you have to that person, mm -hmm. or maybe some fam familiarity because they're a previous user, or maybe they evaluated you. So you need to be much smarter and much more fine-tuned mm -hmm. around which data actually works. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece is that actually we have so much data, even <laughs> so much great data that um, we are seeing a huge drop off from kind of like the, the awesome work that marketing does mm -hmm. and getting us the signals to actually then having an end user and oftentimes that's an SDR or AE or CSM act on that data. Like if we were to look at this drop off rate, it's oftentimes the 80, 50, 80% 80 that actually gets lost somewhere in the middle. And I think that's also where RevOps comes in and can help everyone. Like here's the data that was generated, but data alone doesn't have a value. It only has a value if it gets actioned on. And I think the last few years we got so much data in that, that we overwhelmed. And now it's actually around, can we turn this data into, into action reliably? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. I think I was actually just saying that this morning to somebody. It's not about the data. It's about what are you going to do with the data? What's yes. the, right? What is that next next best action? And I was telling somebody, if you can tell the you know the customer what is that next next best action and help guide them that's powerful giving me the data giving me the reporting even even the um even the anal analytics is still not enough nowadays right you want to take oh that and tell me what to go do right help me yeah 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 absolutely because like at the same time especially over the last year we are we're looking at how can we be more efficient how can mm -hmm. like how can one person do what previously two did but at the same time we actually increasing the number of signals we have so it, it's it gets much much harder to for this one person to do the job of two in it, while being drowned with data yeah yeah 100 percent. i love that and i love the plug for RevOps. so thank you i didn't pay you to do that <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, when I think about, you know, just we were talking about kind of the last few years, but the volatility of the market has been crazy, right? The volume of job changes obviously has increased significantly. Many, many people have changed roles, sometimes multiple times over the last few years. Yes. Um, love it. Right. And as personally, love you it. Love it. <laughs> yeah. And as a business, for, for my company. Yeah, it's great, yes. right? Because as a business, but for other people, you know, trying to maintain that quality data for your customers, right? And those champions is so critical. Both both for not only retention and growth within an existing account, but also to yes. identify new prospects. So maybe from your perspective, you know, how should revenue leaders be thinking about this data, right, to help retain um, and grow within their existing customer base? I, I actually love that you started with the retention first, because I think what's really interesting is if I look at my conversations and compare them a year ago to now, mm -hmm. a year ago, it was all about new business and growth. Retention is interesting, but actually, like <laughs> churn wasn't that high because yeah. everyone still had money. It was all about new business. Versus now, so many of my conversations actually start with the retention angle mm -hmm. because, like, number one is that 
um, a champion leaving is the second biggest reason for churn. Number one is bad onboarding. But if my champion is leaving, and oftentimes, specifically the, the, the people where, like, if, I'm, if I have a really good relationship and they love my product, then they tell me anyway. But this middle piece of the ones that they could go either way and maybe they, they, they churn or maybe they don't, these are the ones I might not hear immediately. Mm. And so I want to know as soon as possible if, if my champion is leaving from that organization. And interestingly, like now I would tell you, and also importantly where they're going, but actually there's a second piece for retention that's really interesting, is any new decision maker right now, any VP or C-level person, when they join a new company, their first job, maybe their only job in this environment, is actually evaluating the tech stack that they're inheriting. How can I save like my 30, 50% yeah. right there? So the first thing they do, like basically first month they listen, to what's going on. Second month, they start thinking about what they should be doing. And third month, they take action. Mm -hmm. And if you're too late in this conversation, if you haven't already started a conversation with this new stakeholder, then you are on the chopping block. Yep. So the number one thing there is actually, it's, it's, it's checking who's leaving, but also who's joining my customer accounts. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because a lot of times when a new leader comes on board, they're doing that assessment, but they also want, a lot of times they just blindly want their own tech stack, right? What they're used to, right? What they're used to using and they start to and, rip and replace, right? <laughs> and I love that too, okay? Because certainly on the other hand, like if this person is my previous customer and they mm -hmm. move to a new organization, then I want to be in that conversation exactly. as soon as possible as well, right? So. Um, that's that's on the the flip side of that coin. So fortunately, there's there's this good flip side as well in terms of let's make sure I'm part of this conversation as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of my next, I guess, leads into sort of that next question is you know how should they be leveraging that data, right, to identify new prospects or even um, you know maybe better target accounts that they can go after. Yes, yes. I think these are actually two, the, the two big ones. It's it's identifying, job changes have always been also an indicator for what is this company actually looking for? Mm -hmm. So there's so many stories around, like if you hire your first, let's say, head of finance, it means you're now ready for a more sophisticated financing tool. Mm -hmm. So that's a, this, the, like the, the job postings and the hiring should always be an indicator for the intent strength of that yeah. account. But you're also right, like if, if for example, a company, um, I haven't seen any intent signals, um, but... Um, if there are a few users or champions joining that account, mm -hmm. then for me, that's, this bubbles up the, the um, importance of that account because now I have a much, much better way getting into that account. Yeah, yeah I think about just, you know, when people... Um when people leave an account, like we were talking about, they, they want to bring in their own tech stack, they start to look at that. But then also, you know, I love the point that you brought up about, you know, those folks that you don't talk to all the time, right? Your customers that you don't talk all the time and then their champion leaves, right? And, and yes, there's an opportunity to now go follow that champion to their next company, right? And that's a net new potential opportunity. But then also, you know, you want to know ahead of time so that you're building that surround sound and building that relationship with whoever is yes. still there. Yeah. 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 And now more important than ever. So a very big initiative for us is looking into how many people are in my QBR, mm -hmm. how many people in that organization hear about what user terms is doing for them. Yeah. So I'm actually I'm actually preaching that this is as much a product uh, job as it is a customer success job. Mm -hmm. The CSM should bring them in. But the product would actually see how can I 
tell as many people in my customer about the success they are seeing. Yeah. Like it's it's about usage for the end user, but it's about statistics and analysis for the decision makers. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, pipeline generation, right? Kind of top of funnel and all of that. And I was, I like to talk a lot about retention and growth because I think we don't, we talk about customer a lot, um, but then we mm -hmm. still focus on top of funnel, right? We tend to kind of grow, yes. moved in that direction. But, you know, pipeline gen is always just top of mind. You know, and I saw on your website, like you have a guide that says the cure for pipeline anxiety, right? How to generate qualified pipeline on autopilot. And to me, that's like a dream come true, right? I think for everybody, that's a dream come true to be able to do that. Um, so maybe can you share some of your thoughts around this? Like what, you know, maybe what best practice recommendations you have, you know, for revenue, revenue mm -hmm. layers, right? To generate better, more qualified pipeline. Yes. And I think that the first one is, is um, just looking at what we did is, who like tracking your champions. We talked yeah. about it, but I think there, there are a few things that that's interesting. So basically we have this program actually literally on autopilot on purpose so we can show that we trust our own data. Yeah. But for us, if a job change happens, we automatically push this person into a sequence. Mm. And we have based on persona, based on seniority, we have different sequences, mm -hmm. but they are like, we have response rates in the 25% on this with very, very little work. And this program alone adds somewhere in the range of like we started out at 12 i think now we're at 16 percent of our revenue wow and and what i what i find so interesting about this i think it's the only marketing program that actually scales with your size like every mm -hmm. other program if you go for example intent or if you want to put money into to linkedin advertising at some point you hit hit the limit like you can't scale it much further um, without losing efficiency but as long as your company is growing, then you have more people to track and it actually scales with the business. But the main thing for us is that a lot of this can be fully automatic. Mm. And especially in this environment where I need to be more efficient, that's really the way to do it. Yeah, I think that's really, that's really powerful. I think we don't track our customers again, not enough focus on customer a lot of times, because I know when I've left a company, that's one of the first things I do, right, is look at the tech stack. What do we have? You know, what what are we actually using? Right. And how are we using yes. it? And like you said, then they start to, you know, you, you if you don't have that champion, you're on the cutting block, right? You're going to be, yeah, one of those companies that they would say, oh, we don't really need that. Yeah. And and it's like if if you're too late in this, like if this, this, mm -hmm. this person comes in, they evaluate everything. If the first time you hear from them is when they say, hey, we're not going to renew this conversation, like changing this back yeah. to a non-renewal is the hardest thing in the world. Like, I think that's what we, that's what we talk to customers. It's like going back from this super, super difficult. And that's why the earlier you have this conversation, the earlier you can actually influence the conversation, show them the success that they're seeing that they might not be fully aware, mm. the much, much higher your successes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, as I think about, you know, the revenue engine and this podcast, I'm always hoping others will learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? Empower the revenue engine. So maybe from your perspective, you know, what are the top maybe two or three things that you think all revenue leaders should be thinking about today to really drive revenue? I think that there are two things and they're not, not even that much related to, to user terms. So I think the first would be just like going back to what you asked about, like the, the data and so much data being available. We've really seen it across the organization that so often it's actually not about the data that's available, but about 
the enablement and the actioning of that data. And so when like, so much of our CSM job is actually, it's not about here's the job change, but rather here's the job change and what happens next. Mm -hmm. And so for a revenue organization, I would really look into every single signal and how much I'm actually using it. And by how much we go as deep as looking into how many steps in a sequence did you action? Mm -hmm. And the results are actually, I think, in 90% of cases, surprising because we find that, yes, you did reach out to, let's say, 50% of the people you should, but it was one step. And then they dropped, like, then you dropped off. So the question is, how can, and, but we all know that a big success of sequences are in step six to 10. It's about like 40% or so. So, uh, which means that I want to, like, I would look into, do I get to these six to 10 steps in the signals that matter to me? Mm -hmm. And so that, I think that is one. And the other one, the, the one thing that worked really well for us, and this is kind of like a no brainer, but I want to go into detail there is the sales and marketing orchestration. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we got better and better to call it ABM, ABX. So at least we are aligning on which accounts are we going after, right? Like five years ago, that was the big conversation. Sales did this, marketing just did, yeah. did this. At least now we have the same accounts we go after, but often that time that's where the alignment stops. And who are the people? What is the messaging? Mm -hmm. So what we are religious about is really making sure ABM is not on the account level, it's actually on the contact level. Mm. So if sales reaches out to a person at the very same time, this person is in a managed uh, campaign on LinkedIn mm. where they see the same messaging. And I think if you talk about what changed over the last five years, it's like you need to be so like, totally clear on who it is and have the same messaging across all the channels. So this because our attention span is like two seconds, <laughs> we need to we need to make sure these two seconds add up to the 20 seconds. And the only way we can do this is by orchestrate how we reach that person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Again, music to my ears, sales and marketing alignment. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> kind of focused on the same goals, right? And kind of driving to the same yes. strategy instead of like marketing does this and hands it off to sales. It's no longer like that, right? I always talk about revenue kind of being a team sport. It's everybody stays involved, oh right? Throughout the process. Absolutely. And and let's add customer success into Absolutely. this as well, as you say. Yeah, it's the entire funnel, especially in recurring business, right? In the SaaS model, I always tell people, it's like when you sign that contract for the first time, that's just the beginning of the journey, right? With the oh customer, or should be at least, so. Yes. I love yeah. that. Um, okay, so what about, you know, maybe shifting gears a little bit, you know, as a CEO and, you know, two-time founder, you know, if is there like one piece of advice that you would maybe give to another CEO or founder, you know, kind of that one thing that has made all the difference? We actually, when we have new hires, um, I'm I'm meeting with them and I walk them a little bit through the history of user terms. Mm -hmm. and, and I also share a little bit the learnings that we have yeah. along our journey. And I think if there's, if there's just one advice, like, certainly in B2B anyway, where you need to, you need to commit to it for at the very mm -hmm. least to like B, B2B is so often also like you might be a good fit, but, it, but it might just not be the right time. Yeah. And I mean, in in dating, it's always a lie when you say it's not you, it's me, <laughs> but in B2B, say, in B2B sales, it could really be the case. Yeah. Like we've seen so often that like, it's just like, I have this, this, this quarter, I have a different goal, a different OKR, but next quarter it fits. And so often companies come back. So you need to commit to a certain time, mm. but I would actually make this even bigger. Like, um, 
Airbnb, like if you look at the history of Airbnb, it's like there were these thousand days of pain where mm-hmm. there was no progress until there was something like they changed how they took the photos and then it accelerated. And I think in our situation, it was actually the 1500 days of pain <laughs> starting in like 2014. But I think what the, the very important thing is, it's actually twofold and that's hard, but not give up, but actually knowing when to pivot. I think that's the big one. Like, how do you know, how do you know, like, I couldn't, like, even if I go on, this is not going to be successful mm-hmm. versus I just need to stick it out a little bit longer. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, you know, but as we wrap up, before I let you go, I always ask two things of all my guests. <laughs> one, what is the one thing about you that others might be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? Um, and sometimes sometimes they're the same thing. I've had a lot of guests say kind of the same thing. So something that people might be surprised to learn and something that you really want others to know about you. Mm-hmm. I already used up the surprise because I, I, I would have said that I I founded the company with my identity. I was going to say actually when you were talking about that, I was like, that would be a great one because you and and you acted surprised, so this would have been perfect. Yeah, but, actually, um, that is a good. That's a really good one, and actually, be interesting to see if you have ever tried to, you know, like if you look enough alike that you can actually, you know, kind of impersonate each other and take each other's place. The- <laughs> <laughs> Less often now, but there was a situation where um, because I was the I was the seller, so I went to the conference. Like I I went to all the conferences, and then one conference I got sick, but we already had a ticket. We didn't have a lot of money, so it's like, all right, we just take the ticket and Stefan, yeah. goes, my, my my twin brother. Yeah. <laughs> so he went there, had it un- like basically with my name. He went uh-huh. there, and there were really people coming up to him and <laughs> that I already knew, but obviously he didn't. <laughs> And, and that is not fun. Okay. Like, how do you react in that situation? So haven't done that in a while. Okay. <laughs> um, is there anything that you want everyone to know about you? Yeah. I don't know if it's about me or more in general. I think the the other thing that I mentioned, like if I look at my history of, of what I've done, like, starting with being an engineer so far from removed from anything related to sales mm-hmm. to actually then changing into a very sales type. Like I was the first seller at the company. Um, I was the first VP of sales. I'm still involved in a whole lot of sales conversations. I think what I just find really interesting that ultimately, even if I didn't believe it, it's an acquired skill. Um, You can actually, like if you approach the sales process from an engineering mindset, there are steps you can do. And so I I guess for the the engineers out there that might think about a startup, you, you, it gets easier okay, in, in terms of the selling and it can actually be learned. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Because I mean, sales is such a, that, I think that's what's so amazing about the sales profession, right? You could be, come from any background and you could be successful in sales, right? And it, and it is about mindset, your approach, there's methodology to it. Yes. All right. There's a, there's a science to it, right? That makes yeah, sales actually successful. Yes. Yeah. And I can actually see the yeah. engineering background actually fit really nicely into that kind of the methodology, right? And the approach. The methodology, yes, but I still remember myself being nervous yeah. before every single sales <laughs> call. So I feel that that is actually the the hard thing to, for, I guess, the engineer, or at least back then it was for me. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate just all you sharing your experience, you know, your knowledge and some of and some really great advice. Um, every time I 
record with a guest, I'm always like super excited to go back and listen because you just kind of hear a lot of the tips and um, advice that you share. So thank you for sharing your time with us. Awesome. I, I hope it's useful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.